Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. The race for Idaho governor is a bit different this year with incumbent Brad Little refusing to debate while facing challenges from both the left and right. Tonight, gubernatorial candidates Ammon Bundy and Stephen Height share their visions for Idaho. I'm Melissa Davlin. Idaho Reports starts now. Hello and welcome to Idaho Reports. This week, I sit down with two gubernatorial candidates, Democrat Stephen Height and Independent Ammon Bundy, to discuss why they're running for governor. But first, in addition to state and local candidates, on Tuesday, voters will also decide on SJR 102, the constitutional amendment that would allow lawmakers to independently call the legislature back into special session without the governor's approval. Currently, only the governor can call lawmakers back to Boise outside of the regular session. SJR 102 needs a simple majority to pass on Tuesday after lawmakers passed the resolution in 2021. Earlier this week, former Governor Butch Otter came out against the proposal. What the Idaho legislature is asking to do is, well, very dangerous as far as I'm concerned uh, to uh, the, our constitutional republic and very dangerous for the people of Idaho. So it's my hope that the people of Idaho give it a resounding no and a large enough no that they won't bring it up again for a long, long time. A lot of times a legislator won't get their what I call re-election bill uh, passed during the regular session. And so what they'll do is come down and request, would you call a special session because we, we've got this to do. Now, that's just one legislator. but. Anybody that knows the legislative process and the lobbying that goes on between this legislator and that, all right, uh, help me call the legislature back into session. And the next time you want a special session, I'll help you. I'll vote for yours. You vote for my special session, I'll vote for yours. And so it's just going to be, it's, I say again, it's a full-time legislature. On Wednesday, Idaho GOP Chairwoman Dorothy Moon issued a statement in support of SJR 102, saying, quote, SJR 102 corrects Idaho's historic error and puts the legislative and executive powers on equal footing, unquote. She also pointed out that Idaho is one of 13 states where lawmakers don't have the ability to call themselves back into session. Now, don't confuse SJR 102 with the non-binding advisory question that's also on the ballot. The advisory question asks voters whether they approve or disapprove of the legislature's actions on tax cuts and education spending during that September special session. Now, regardless of the outcome, the results won't have any effect on policy, but could guide the priorities of the newly elected legislature in January. On election day, the Idaho Reports team will follow the results on SJR 102 in addition to congressional, statewide, and legislative races. Join us for a live blog with live coverage and analysis beginning when results start rolling in on Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Mountain Time, 8 p.m. Pacific. 
And on Wednesday, look for our breakdown of who won and lost on the Idaho Reports podcast. You'll find the links to all of our online coverage at IdahoPTV.org slash Idaho Reports. This year, we at Idaho Public Television, along with debate organizers nationwide, saw a handful of incumbents decline to debate, including Governor Brad Little, who is facing four challengers in the general election. Of those two qualified for our debate that didn't end up happening, Democrat Stephen Haidt and Independent Ammon Bundy. Earlier this week, I sat down with both candidates for one-on-one -on -one interviews, starting with Mr. Haidt. The main issues that I'm running on are number one, uh, the, the economy uh, and inflation. Number two, education. Uh, I'm a lifetime educator. Number three is women's autonomy. And uh, number four would be criminal justice reform. So let's let's talk about the economy. You know, Idaho's economy has been very strong the past few years compared to other states and weathered the pandemic fairly well. What specifically would you change to improve Idaho's economy? Well, the economy, the pandemic, you know, did cause some strain on the economy, but not as much as in the last six months to a year. And um, What's going, to, what's going to be the easiest way to affect the economy and uh, ease burdens is taxing, and, and part of my, the economy would be a tax reform, um, and more especially property taxes. Well, so. What specifically with property taxes would you change? I would look to restructure it so that uh, businesses carry a fair share of the taxation because they're paying about 15% less in property taxes now. and. You know, the average um, Idahoan makes somewhere between fifteen and a hundred thousand dollars a year, and uh, that businesses make notably more. Large corporate and uh, uh, multinational corporations, they make notably more money, and they have the wherewith, the flex, to be able to pay those taxes much more than the average uh, resident here in Idaho. Detractors would say that part of the reason Idaho's economy is so strong and has grown at the rate that it's grown is because of those property tax, uh, the, the lower property taxes for businesses along with other business incentives. How do you win those voters over? You know, I expect to win a certain portion of the vote over. I don't expect to win everybody over. Um, but the bottom line is, the taxes, you, when, you, when you're talking the property taxes, okay, the businesses can't afford that. And right now, the property tax has been so high on the residential uh, uh, sector that a lot of Idaho's have had to sell their home because they can't afford the property taxes, homes they've lived in for decades. And to me, that's the injustice there. And so at what point are we willing to benefit uh, the businesses uh, so much so that uh, Idahoans have to sell their home, and once they can't afford a home, half the time they have to move out of state because they can't afford to live in Idaho anymore. You also mentioned education. In early September, the legislature came together for a special session, uh, approving, among other things, a major investment in K through 12 education. How would you suggest the legislature use that 330 million for K through 12 education and the 80 million for uh, higher education or the in-demand career training? Um, well, it's kind of laid out in of itself like that, but uh, within the, the the 300 million for education, I would uh, focus primarily probably about 65% of it on teacher salaries. 
Um, and that would have to be reconsidered because I don't have all the information, but I would want teacher salaries to become more competitive uh, with uh, the, the states around us so that there's not a vacuum sucking teachers out, but a vacuum pulling teachers in. Uh, therefore, I do want Idaho to become competitive so that we can get uh, more teachers, not have the 900 vacancies, and hopefully uh, attract you know good quality um, educators that can help bring our scores up. Um, my concern is, you know, both parties have always said education you know, the top of the list. But having said that, for 25 years, Idaho is still 49th or 50th in spending, 49th or 50th in, in standardized uh, scores, uh, testing scores. So whatever, you know, they, whatever's been said, um, the results are not agreeing with what's been said and we need to make it so that it, that we need to make that change so you say 65 percent of the 330 million should go into teacher pay that's about 170 million dollars additional to what we've put in the career ladder so far is that a guaranteed way to to boost the test scores and to improve things like the go on rate and math scores that have been such a concern for parents across the state. Is it a guarantee? No, but <clears throat> it's, it can easily be said that, you know, and I'm going to give an example that to help understand, it's not going to be a realistic example, but it helps you understand. One teacher, one high school teacher has 40 students in his class, another high school teacher has 10 students in the class. Um, how much uh, teacher to student time will the, the teacher that has 40 students have in relationship to the other teacher that has 10 students? You're going to get a lot more uh, teacher time. Okay, the average high school class right now in Idaho is about 30 to 35 students. Um, the average uh, elementary school uh, classroom is typically around 25 students. And that's, you know, I've been, I've been in prison education for 15 years, so that, that could have changed that dynamic. I'm, I'm speaking of 15, 20 years ago when I was still in the public sector. And so um, if you can reduce the number of students uh, in a classroom, uh, you will increase the, the contact time, one-on-one -on -one contact time with teacher to students indisputably. So right now Idaho had a 900 teaching positions unfilled last year. Well, how they handled that is they simply spread those students out into other classes, made the classes larger, less contact times. Will it, will it help uh, with the overall scores? It will, but there are many aspects to the dynamic of raising a test score, whether it's math, whether it's language, whether it's reading. And so that's just one aspect of the overall dynamic of raising test scores. And we will, you will see it, it would nudge it a little bit. You have to influence other things too. You also mentioned reproductive issues. Uh, it, regardless of what happens in the general election, we know that we're going to have in Idaho a Republican majority in the legislature because Democrats are running for fewer than half of the legislative races in this state. How would you get your proposals on reproductive issues and reproductive access through a legislature that has definitively said that we are anti-abortion? Um, well, first off, 
if I don't like what comes to my desk, I simply send it back to them. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the easy thing. And I say, you know, when it's acceptable to me, then it will pass. You know, I am actually moderate, and so, you know, for all practical purposes, uh, it's not going to be much of a fight. You know, I, there are things that I, I think conservatively on. There are things that I think progressively on. Um, and so getting, you know, getting the two sides to, to align I don't think will be that hard, um, uh, but the bottom line is, is you know, if they don't want to work with me, uh, it brings things to a standstill. Uh, I don't see the legislature as not wanting to work with me because um, you know it's it's not productive uh, to just say we're not gonna we're just gonna write things that you don't want. Uh, I, I don't see them doing that, I, and, and I I have a confidence that most legislators, to some extent or other to have their constituency in mind. Uh, they need to have their constituency in mind, and if they don't have their constituency in mind, they need to be replaced. You, you're talking about you know, future bills that would come to your desk if you're elected. Currently, Idaho has a, a near total ban on abortion with very narrow exceptions. Would you try to do anything to change that statute? Yes, the first thing I would do is, is I would uh, let, um, the public know that I'm, you know, the, the governor is the executive branch, and I would not, um, I would encourage uh, people to, the governor would not execute, uh, you know, follow through with the ruling. I would, I would relax, um, you know, pursuing those who violated those laws at this time. Would you have the constitutional authority to do that? Because that's up to the 44 prosecutors in each of the counties. I said encourage. I didn't say that I would make them do it. I can't make them do it, but I can encourage. Um, and yes, they they can, and they and then, you know they will do what they want to do. And you know the governor, all he can do is encourage in certain aspects. Okay. Um, I will also, as soon as I get into office, I would begin to see about procedures uh, and ways to uh, rescind those laws. I, I don't know what the process is now, um, but I would, you know, get, need to get some legal uh, counsel to find out how to go about doing it. Because I would look, look about, I would look to replace those laws which were more agreeable to both sides. Uh, you, you mentioned that you were an educator in, within the Department of Correction for the last several years. Uh, I, I'm curious about your approach to criminal statutes around cannabis. You've suggested decriminalizing marijuana possession, um, but not legalizing it. What's the difference, and how do you think that that would benefit Idaho? I, first off, I don't think Idaho's ready to legalize um, you know, recreational use of marijuana. I think Idaho is very ready to legalize medical use of marijuana, and uh, decriminalizing would simply mean we're not gonna put you in jail, which is very expensive uh, per prisoner uh, to put people in jail. It's, it's somewhere around $100 a day to keep somebody in jail, plus the court costs of getting in there and you know all, all the costs involved. It's very expensive per year, uh, per prisoner. Um, if we just say it's, we make it like a traffic ticket, you know, and we say, here's a, here's a ticket for $150 for you know, smoking a joint of marijuana, you know, all of a sudden, it not only do we not put them in jail and cost $100 a day, uh, to the taxpayers, but it, it becomes a source of revenue also. 
We have more with Stephen Hyde online. You can find the link at idahoptv.org slash Idaho Reports. Independent candidate Ammon Bundy also qualified for our debate. I sat down with him on Wednesday to discuss his policy goals, starting with his tax proposals. Eliminating uh, progressive taxes, I guess, is overall kind of how I'd summarize it. Um, certainly, that includes the elimination of property tax and uh, income tax. Uh, I believe that the only moral way to tax a people is through a consumption tax. And so there sales is sales tax. Yeah, sales tax, yeah. Uh, I've proposed uh, what we should do to replace property tax uh, because there is legitimate purposes of government and we need to fund those. And, uh, you know, there has to be some way to do that. And so, you know, just eliminating taxes altogether and not being responsible with it is something that is not part of my proposal. But I also don't like the idea of the state uh, being able to lien our, our properties, our homes, uh, through our current property tax system, and, and I believe we need to eliminate it and change it. So you've, you have proposed doing away with property taxes, which isn't collected by the state. It, it does fund local governments. Mm -hmm. How would you replace that money? And, and well, let's start there. How would you replace yeah. those property tax funds? So obviously, um, as governor, I would need the legislature to get involved in this, and we, you know, uh, that's something uh, that would obviously have to happen. And uh, I look forward to working with the legislature on topics such as this. Um, and so I would be proposing that we again replace it with a consumption tax. So at the point of sale or at the at at the purchase, that there would be a consumption tax on it and. Uh, and that tax would uh, replace the, the taxes that we're doing now. And so we get rid of this, you know, where we have to pay on our homes forever or the state takes it. Uh, and uh, we still fund the, the legitimate purposes of government. And again, I broke that down at uh, votebundy.com on my website. Would you propose raising the sales tax? Because right now for, for most goods, that's 6%. Mm -hmm. Would you need to bump that up to replace the more than $2 billion just for property tax alone? So uh, I don't, we will not have to raise the current uh, sales tax to uh, compensate for the property tax. And again, I've, I've laid that out very clearly on my website. Um, however, if we want to get rid of uh, income tax and we want to clear some of these other taxes up, then there may need, be, need to be an increase. Uh, but with Where that, that said, well, so let me just say with that said though, um, we have uh, programs in the state that I believe are absolutely unnecessary. We need to minimize those programs or eliminate those programs. Uh, for example, you know, almost 40% of our budget, the state budget, goes to welfare programs. And uh, I don't believe that we should uh, be, coming, be a nanny state. I don't believe that the state of Idaho should be you know, providing that type of, that amount of, of welfare services. And so we're, that, that, that alone is uh, almost $4 billion a year. And so let's redirect that, lower the taxes of the people of Idaho and allow, and allow them to pay their own bills. Well, I, about welfare, you said you would like to eliminate um, these welfare programs. Does that include aid for people with disabilities? Uh, I think that there's some opportunity for services uh, for the state, uh, especially when it comes to you know, uh, children and the need for children to, you know, have homes and uh, that where their parents aren't doing that or are not capable of doing that or are not around. That's kind of always been something that the state has uh, worked at a little bit, but, but we need to push these services back onto the churches and to the families and to the communities. 
And a good example of that is like the, the homeless here in, in the Boise area. Well, we have the Boise Rescue Mission who does a tremendous job at, uh, you know, providing services to those people and to helping them to have food and a place to stay and clothing and all of that. And none of that is government funded. Uh, none of that, those funds come from the government. And yet they're providing the bulk of the service here in Boise in that, in that area, if you will. And, uh, and it's not a burden to the taxpayer. And they're much better at it than the government is. It's also a temporary facility. It's not a permanent solution for folks who, who are experiencing homelessness. Yeah, but I don't think that uh, welfare should be, ever be a permanent service. Uh, along uh, along those lines, though, you know, you, you said that that private charities and churches should be stepping in to help with. You've mentioned on your website mm -hmm. food aid and you know people with disabilities Correct. who need home health care, especially when it comes to home health care workers. There is already a shortage that we're experiencing in this state. If that gap is already there, are the churches? stepping up to fulfill those needs as they are? And if not, are they prepared for even more? Well, they won't as long as the state's gonna fill it. That's what, that's what we've seen. As long as the state you know, tries to fill a, a, a void, whether it's you know, a family duty, uh, parents, uh, whether it's the church, then it seems like society will allow the state to do that. But the state doesn't do it very well. It's very expensive, it's consumed. Uh, by bureaucracies and red tape. And I just believe and, and believe that we need to go back to what we know worked. And it's been working that way for hundreds of years and we need to push it back onto the, the families, back to the churches, back to the communities. And, uh, and sometimes that might be a little uncomfortable. Um, uh, it might create a, f a few vacuums here and there, but ultimately in the end, it is much, much better for everybody, uh, including including the taxpayer. You've also proposed, as you mentioned, doing away with individual income tax. Um, that's 42% of the $6.2 billion in revenue collected by the state last fiscal year. Is it, does that include corporate income tax, first of all? Um, I think that uh, corporations you know, have a duty to uh, pay their uh, fair share, if you will. Um, I don't like the idea of having economic development planned where we bring a big corporation in, uh, they provide low to middle income jobs, uh, we give them tax uh, cuts and tax uh, rebates, uh, and, uh, you know, and they don't help pay for the legitimate purposes of government. Um, I think it should be equal across the board. Um, and I don't see how you know, we really benefit from that type of economic development plan. I believe a, an accurate economic development plan or, a, or one that we should implement here in Idaho uh, benefits the individual, the entrepreneur, and the young businesses because that's where wealth is truly generated and that's where jobs are created, uh, good jobs. And um, I, I will direct my efforts that way. Not that I don't want to be attractive as a state to corporations. There's nothing wrong with that. But uh, trying to attract them by giving them tax, uh, you know, cuts or, or even uh, you know, tax rebates. Um, I, I just don't see how that really fits into the needs of the of the state of Idaho. You've talked a lot about unnecessary government programs, but while acknowledging that you see government as having certain proper roles, what are those proper roles? 
Well, certainly uh, proper roles in you know our policing agencies to make sure that uh, we have a, uh, a safe environment, that we live in safe communities. Uh, I think a lot of that responsibility needs to fall upon the sheriff's department. Um, so there's certainly that. I believe that there, again, there's a role in, in some of the needs to fill the, the voids and so forth when it comes to um, some immediate needs for, for uh, children in need. Um, um, I, you know, there's certainly just the overall role to make sure that our county recorders are funded, uh, our records are kept, and, and so that the people have a, a legitimate way to be able to identify what claims they have, what rights they are, the, their titles and their deeds. And then of course, even though uh, I don't like what's going on in the courts, there is a need for the courts so that when people have a dispute, they have a place to go uh, uh, work that out that's peaceful. Uh, so these are some legitimate purposes of government that we need to fund. Our roads are important. Our infrastructure is very important. Um, uh, but many, many of the programs in government uh, really need to be minimized or eliminated. You, you have said in, in a recent video, though, that you were hoping that somebody would, quote, take care of a judge who, who issued a ruling that, that you didn't like for somebody who was engaged in a protest mm -hmm. at a local public official's house. What exactly did you mean by that? Well, we have a lot of injustices that is going on. Uh, Robert Jones was, you know, in the middle of the day, pounding on a, uh, I think it was a Home Depot bucket on a public street, and he was uh, arrested for uh, disturbing the peace, and this judge gave him a sentence of six months in jail. They were also playing sounds of gunfire, right, outside well, of the Robert house? Robert Jones wasn't. He was pounding on a bucket, and he was given six months. Um, how is that free speech in any way? I mean, you know, uh, it was in the middle of the day. Uh, he was pounding on a bucket, standing on the sidewalk, and this judge sentenced him to six months. She did it because she's a political machine. And uh, I don't believe we should have judges that are biased like that. And that's, that's my opinion, and I think it's an absolute injustice what happened to him. You, you also said, you know, hopefully we can take care of her uh, peacefully. So are, are you open to political violence in these cases? And, well, and what level of violence? So there's lots of ways to, you know, take care of a judge. First of all, you know, you could vote them out. I know that there's a process through this uh, Idaho Supreme Court that you could go through to have them removed. Um, you know, I do believe that we should go through those processes. Uh, I believe that that judge, you know, should not continue as a judge. I think she showed her bias and her injustice. And uh, I know, you know, there's a little family that's suffering because of it. And Robert Jones is in, in jail right now because he, he pounded on a bucket in the middle of the day on the street. But are you and open so, to political violence? What do you mean by political violence? Well, it, I'm, I'm asking based on what you said in the video, hopefully we can do it peacefully. And so if, that's, if that doesn't work, what's the alternative? How, does, how is that in any way promoting violence? I said, hopefully we can do it peacefully. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's, that's of course what I would hope. That was, that's what my desire. Uh, you, you, you know as well as anybody else that, you know, there's a, a whole bunch of other uh, non-peaceful uh, methods that are used. Well, I'm saying I don't condone that. Hopefully we can do it peacefully. Uh, anybody, uh, that doesn't believe or want it to be done peacefully, I don't believe is in the right mind. 
We have so much more with Ammon Bundy online. You can find all of our extended interviews with candidates who did not get the chance to debate this year at IdahoPTV.org slash Idaho Reports. Also there, you'll find this week's Idaho Reports podcast episode in which Logan Finney sits down with Executive Director Margie Gonzalez from the Idaho Commission on Hispanic Affairs to discuss Hispanic voter outreach in Idaho. For information on how or where to vote in the November 8th election, visit VoteIdaho.gov. And remember, if you haven't already, you can register to vote at the polls. Thanks so much for watching, and we'll see you next week. presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.